you and I both had a similar reaction when Dave was saying, like, if proof, his previous company, if proof, his, wow. You can do it. I can. You and I have, oh my God. (laughs) Cold open. Cold open. Here it is. (laughs) That was three strikes. You're out. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I am joined today and all days we record by Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie, it's thank true. you for being here. Thanks for having me again and again. Again yeah. and again. You know, it's great because today the person who lives above you isn't working out. You know what? That's a real win. That's a huge win for huge, me. Huge, huge win. I feel like we're going to be able to hear this interview loud and clear today. Oh, we're in good shape. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're great today. Well, speaking of being great, we have a great guest. Dave Rogan Moser is here, um, who is the CEO of Jasper AI. And great conversation, really talking about their journey in scaling this business. Jasper's only been around for two years. They disclosed that they hit $70 million in revenue after two years. It's an AI writing company. But it came out of another company that he had started previously. And so it was a pivot to grow into this. Lots of interesting stuff in this conversation about when you should be using AI, when not to, when to pivot, what product market fit feels like. Lots of great stuff today. Tasty nuggets. Tasty Tasty nuggets. nuggets. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of tasty nuggets, what has you talking to loud, Sylvie? Oh, man. McDonald's. No, I'm kidding. Uh (laughs) Nugget Joe. Our new sponsor, McDonald's. <laughs> They're here for you. We're here for them. The golden those, arches. Those golden arches. That's right. <laughs> um, no, but it is in the food and drink category, the thing that has me talking too loud. Hmm. So um, like two summers ago, I found this wine that I really liked. Okay. It's a Vermentino. It's from okay. Australia. Perfect. It's called Wits End. Like I'm at my Wits End. Uh-huh. And the wine shop stopped carrying it. And mm. I went into a different wine shop recently. And I was like, "Hey, I'm looking for this wine." She's like, "Oh, I don't have it, but I see who the importer is. I'm going to order a case of it for you." And I was like, "You can do that?" "You can do that." "You can do that?" <laughs> and it was just like this unexpected little magical thing that happened. And That's I was amazing. Re- Look I at was, you. I know. Capitalism working its magical <laughs> ways. <laughs> really, it's wine. Wine working its magical ways. Yeah. But it was just like one of those things where you're, you know, like it feels very neighborhoody, like, oh, I'm going to pop into the wine shop and... Like, I felt like that's I was great. a little bit in a Disney musical, so. Oh, that's and everyone broke out of the song as the wine Yeah, got wine, wine, wine. Um, the wine. okay but what has you talking too loud my friend you know um i i would say right now i we're coming off the weekend where svb collapsed silicon valley bank and um we don't bank with svb here at wistia but we we used to and um that was our first bank but watching what happened on thursday and friday and watching like the panic uh, was horrible and, you know, doom scrolling all weekend and trying to not think about this, but just kind of feeling like, man, here's another, here's another event that no one was expecting of all your cash could disappear 
Like if, do you know how, do you you know anybody who was like impacted by it? I know tons of people who were impacted by it. Now, fortunately it's everything has been resolved. The federal government came in and said they're backstopping all depositors. And as opposed to just the first 250 K that people have in their bank accounts. And I think like the big thing here is obviously if you're a business running payroll and you have a large team or any team, 20 people, whatever, then you're going to probably have more than 250 K in a bank account. Right. And so, um, it just was like a thing that no one ever expected could happen and another existential threat. So I'm, I'm super thankful that we're on the other side of it. It seems today, um, I hope we still are when this episode comes out was stressful, but it was a lot of change very quickly. And speaking of a lot of change very quickly, Dave Rogan Moser, who is the CEO of Jasper AI, is here to talk about pivoting to being an AI company and much more. Dave, thank you for being on the show. It's so good to see you again. It's been, what, three, four years since uh, the last podcast, the last time we chat, so we got a lot to cover. It's been, I think, about four years a lot has changed. Last time I talked to you, you were doing use proof. Now you have Jasper AI. And I know I've been following you guys really closely, played around with the products a lot. I hear about it all the time. Like it's obviously a wild ride, which is really exciting. We're going to get into that. But as you know, this show is called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited, I can't control the volume of my voice, <laughs> which even before we began recording today was happening over and over. So <laughs> I, I have to start, though, by asking you, what's got you talking to that these days? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a wild market right now. I mean, I think legit today, there's probably seven newsworthy announcements so far, and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. We've probably got a few more to go. Uh, if I'm talking too loud about anything to our team, it's about let's simplify, let's execute, let's uh, let's let's play our game really well, and uh, and I think we'll win if we do that. And that's awesome. And what about like outside of work? Any any like hobbies you got going on? Anything that's like, really you're passionate about these days? I played the best round of golf yesterday. I've played in probably mm. six months, so that was fun. And uh, I've got three little boys that are five, three, and one, and oh and wow, crazy. That's sometimes I, I get a little bit too loud talking with them, and you know I'm I'm in the yelling, talking loud zone, and yeah, try, try to walk it back. But they're a ton of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so like if you can catch me up and catch up the audience. So first, like tell everybody what is Jasper, and then I would love to get into a little bit of the story of like how you pivoted and evolved to what Jasper is today. Yeah, Jasper's a software platform that uses AI to help marketing teams write great content faster. And we've started about two years ago. So January of 2021, we launched and it was really a a Facebook ad copy tool. Uh, And that has evolved into a full, you know, suite of tools that write blog posts and social media posts and and still add copy, but now add uh, images. Uh, into your posts that are relevant to that. And you can collaborate with all your teammates inside there. And very soon it's going to be, you know, on brand with your tone of voice and your style guide and know about your products. And so it's kind of this continual evolution. But basically we want to be uh, the platform that, that teams come together to write on. 
I'm actually really excited about the brand guide in there to help you because I think that's something like we've spent so much time trying to have like the right brand guide so you can have a team that's big that's mm-hmm. always in the same voice and has those decisions. So that getting that in there is like really exciting on a tactical level. But can you bring me back like so how did you see this opportunity? Because you made the call to get into this space in January of 21 and you know, at that moment, you're talking about helping people with like Facebook advertising and writing those ads. But like, how did you see that? How did you know that? And yeah, just what bring us back to that moment? Yeah, it was really like right team, right place, right time. We had just been winding down proof just because we couldn't figure out how to keep growing it. And we're just kind of looking for the next thing. Didn't really we weren't looking for a software tool necessarily. We were running this course on how to run um, Facebook ads for B2B SaaS companies. Yeah. And they were having a hard time writing copy in the format that I was trying to teach and that I really believed in. So I was always having to kind of go back in and help them tweak and edit it. Uh, and I'd seen GPT-3 and I was like, that looks really cool. You know, I couldn't get access to it for a while. Uh, finally got access to it and I was like, oh, I could use this teach it like my format for writing Facebook ads. And then I could just let the people in the, in the course go use that tool to uh, implement it. And we built a little MVP. I started showing these customers on just zoom calls like, Hey, this is really embarrassing. Like, you know, forget about all the like broken <laughs> stuff here, but like, I think you can kind of see on the yeah. screen <laughs> that I could type in a little bit about your company and click this button. And then it like, what do you think of this output? And people would just like cuss and rave and love it. And they would just be like, how do I get this? You know, can I get this tomorrow? I'll pay you money, whatever. And it was just like visceral reaction that was different than any of the other products that we'd built before. And we quickly like pivoted the remaining of the proof team over to that and just thought, let's go hit this thing hard. So again, it was a combination of kind of being in the space where we didn't really have a thing going on at the moment. I mean, if proof had been doing a little bit better. Yeah. I'd still be doing proof right now. You that's know, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad it like yeah. wasn't doing um so well. And then we just had the team already like ready to go. We knew marketing, we knew copy. We had a big list of marketers, you know, that we had been working with over the years and we could just hit it hard. Yeah, because you, I mean, I'm actually surprised because I feel like I was seeing you guys all over the place at that moment. So obviously like you were marketing really well and you had this like list of customers and we talk about trying to build an audience first and then building a product. And it seems like you built an audience for a product that wasn't the right one. And then you found your way to this other one. And I love the fact that the reaction was so visceral that you could just literally see on customers faces. Like this is what they need. Yeah. I mean, people talk about like product market fit is one of those things that you'll know it when you have it. And that used to piss me off so much because I, I would be with proof and I'd be like, I don't know. Like, do we have it? Do we not? That's not yeah. helpful. <laughs> and it's like the advice is inherent in that. Like if it's not helpful and you're frustrated by it and you don't know if you have it, then you then don't you don't. It. But yeah. you, you almost like can't believe that, that such a thing even exists until like you feel it and you're like, you're on those demos and you feel the market pulling you. You're like, oh, of course, that advice was true all along. And if you don't think it's true, you know, it's probably because you don't have it. So you you realize like we have this, we can do it. And you know, it started just with like these ads, right? And then did you raise money at that moment or like were you able to grow with what you had and tell us cuz I've heard rumors 
that you're, you're gonna you're gonna tell me if these rumors are true or not but i've heard rumors about you guys like you're big enough now that there's rumors going around about oh hey did you hear about jasper that's amazing i haven't i haven't heard yeah. any of the rumors and it was basically <laughs> about like that there was like you ha- found the right exact combination of like profitable um advertising i didn't know it was only on facebook that you were able to like spin up this growth like unbelievably fast and fund it yourself because of how quickly the customers coming in. And is that true? And is that still like one of the core engines? Yeah. I mean, we had still had the $250,000 of monthly recurring revenue from proof coming in. Yeah. And again, that was like super profitable. And so we had like this, you know, safety net, you know, from that that we could at least operate off of. And then, yeah, I mean, Jasper just grew so fast. I'm going to have to go back and look at like the actual P&L from like the first few months. But like, yeah. we were very profitable with Jasper just in itself, you know, early on. I was running our ads for us. I don't know. I think we were spending like twenty to $50,000 a month on ads for like the first six months. And they were like very profitable and cash flow positive pretty quickly. And then we hired this guy. I'd actually worked with him for a long time before and he had left for a few months because proof wasn't working. And I was like, I was like, dude, I was like, I need you to come back. And I was like, I'll just pay you like 2% of ad spend. And like, as long as, which is like the, you know, you, you never want to yeah. say that, but yeah. as long as there was like, there was like two very specific, like, uh, it was like, you can't kind of get worse than three to one LTV to CAC and payback period has to be shorter than six months. And like, as long as those two things are true, uh, spend away. And he got us from like fifty thousand dollars of like spend a month to like a million in like thirty days, <laughs> and <laughs> and obviously like it was just like a great example of like getting on the right side of the table, like the same side of the table with someone where like you're fully yeah. aligned. Yeah, it was a win for us. Obviously, a win for him. You know, we're paying him crazy amounts of money, but like he just kind of broke through all these like limiting beliefs that we had around like scaling that, um, because he was actually on the right side of the table. So anyway, yeah, ads was a big part of like early days, but also it was like so viral, so word of mouth mouth that like that just kind of fueled um the customer acquisition and then like the customers took it from there that is very cool you don't hear about stories like that every day um, yeah it was wild yeah i have so many questions so now that you've been through that and you've seen that and you've seen that engine like when you're looking at these other growth opportunities for you is that what your same expectation is like that you're gonna be able to like turn it up like that because and and why is that is that because you just know that the product has product market fit. Yeah, I mean, I don't have, you know, channels right now that I'm discovering that I'm like, oh, just like crank it up 100 times what we're at right now and do it in 30 days. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I don't know, like we don't have those and we're kind of like in every channel and now it's more of this like, you know, the optimization game and finding incremental gains and all of that. Um but yeah, I mean, we're still certainly seeing like great results across like all the channels, and um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think we're gonna find something like that. That's kind of an early day uh, phenomenon. I think that would be interesting and and hard to discover something like that that we haven't seen yet. Interesting. And when you look at the ad market, and we, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but like, there's been a lot of conversation about the change with like Apple privacy and the ad market and stuff. Is that something that you, I mean, it sounds like it's still working for you, even all these, the, these changes have happened. Do you have a comment on that? Yeah. And I've been spending money on Facebook and Google for years. I, I think that that, what that did was it kind of scared off all the people that were just eking out a profit where like your ads were like kind of making money, but you weren't really sure. And it like, wasn't like totally working. 
Like a lot of those people just left. But like the number of people on Facebook didn't leave, you know, so like all of a sudden like demand for that attention drops dramatically, but the supply like stays the same. And so it just makes room, I think, for people that really can make it work. And and we try to be pretty conservative on the actual like attribution because I think like some of that stuff makes it hard to really know what's happening. Um, but honestly, we made it work really, really well. And again, we've got skill in that you know, regard. I don't think others could replicate that as easily. Um, but yeah, I think I think it just cleared out a lot of people that were like on the fence and, and allowed more opportunity for people that really knew what they were doing. Got it. Cool. Um, so basically you're saying like, if you know how to use this stuff, there's still lots of value. You can still make it work. But like underneath all of this, I think a, a big lesson too for anybody listening is you have a product that has product market fit that is like delighting people when they see it on, you know, when you see their eyes, when they get demoed the product, they're like, I want this. Give me, give me, give me. And therefore that, I just think that's an important piece of the puzzle too, yes. because I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I can't make it work. And it's like, well, but there isn't actually like when people see your product, they're not actually motivated to buy. So of course it's expensive. Like, of course it's hard versus yes. like in this case, having product market fit. Totally. I mean, the exact same team could not make it work selling proof five months before. Yeah. So I get the exact same team trying really hard, building great funnels and great ads and all of that goes from a crappy team to the smartest team in the world, you know, over five months. And, you know, the big change was it was a product that people actually really wanted. And that unlocked so many channels. So I think you've got to look back at what's the product, what's the offer. And if that's not good enough, then, you know, it's going to be so hard to do the marketing for that. I mean, it really aligns with like my experience too, of like, we have a much easier time marketing when we're shipping product consistently. And it's like really valuable and it's stuff that people want. And if we ever have not, which we have, we've had problems where we haven't, right? Like we've had periods of time when we couldn't scale the org and we couldn't figure out how to do it. That is like, why aren't these channels working as well? And yeah. like in the recent past, we've been shipping very quickly and oh, oh surprise, all these things are working. And I, it's, it's like this thing that is almost like not really... I think it's really easy to underappreciate in terms yep. of when you have the core flywheel going of your product is actually valuable. You're adding more value to people. It's like a reason to pay attention. Suddenly, all these people have never heard of you before. If they find your thing and they go look at the recent stuff you put out there, or the recent things you've done, they're like, oh, this thing is alive and there's a lot of value in it, but it's easy to miss that. Like I think a lot of folks see a product like we're just going to scale this up now and they actually don't invest enough in the product when they do that and they lose they lose this advantage that they've had before. Totally agree. I think I've been like a marketing maximalist, you know, at yeah. points in time in my life before where it's just all marketing and you know, again, yes, the offer matters, but like spend a day or two kind of like tweaking that and like making that get and then like get to the, like the real work and you know, I'm selling courses and these like super commoditized uh, products. And I guess the bright side is you get really good at marketing because it's yeah, so yeah. hard to do that. Yeah. yeah. That then once you do get like a great product, you're just like, you feel like the wind at your back, you know, it's like, you're really riding the wave and, and it still takes, you know, skill to do that. But, uh, I'm with you. I have definitely shifted far away from like the, the marketing is what matters to again. It's, it's both. It's, it's a, it's, both. it's a it's special both. union it's, between the two. Yes. And, it's both, but man, like I would rather wait and really get the product right before doing like any marketing and then just going out and saying, Hey, whatever the product's fine. Like, let's just go ahead and like start to market it. 
Yeah, it's an interesting thing because there's so many marketers who are just focused on marketing. And then there's a lot of people who will be like, build it and they will come. And that doesn't always work either. So it's really about that. You're building it, people find it valuable, and then you bring them in, and then more people come. And it's this like compounding engine yeah. of growth. And when you have it, you know it. But if you like, if you don't have it, it gets confusing. And I think your point is so transparent and honest and great, or just around like the same team exactly five months later goes from like, oh, we don't think they're any good to like, oh, they're the greatest ever, you know? And it's like, yeah. well, we know we're the same people. We know all these tactics. We know all these things. It's a crazy story. And it's, I think, a really, if you're listening, like, you should, you should listen very closely what, to what Dave is saying around getting that product honed and getting it to the right place where you are, like, people's eyes widen when they see it. Because when you are at that moment, and we're talking about B2B right now. Like, I think it's also worth just saying that we're talking about B2B customers who are coming in and, like, they're having an emotional response and it's a signal of the value. And like, that's what you're searching for. And every, once you have that, everything else is much easier. Yeah. Like something I think about a lot is like searching for like local maximum versus like the global maximum. And like, in many ways, like, like Jasper is like kind of in the same ballpark as proof. You know, it's a software tool that helps like marketers, like do this thing that they're doing like day in and day out with proof is more conversion rate optimization. This is more content and copy, but it's like, we were like optimizing proof, like, squeezing every last penny out of it and like it took us kind of like stepping like all the way back up like climbing back up the tree like looking around and being like okay like have i kind of squeezed all the juice out of this thing is there like a much higher mountain like right around me and i think just like people need to do that more like if you're kind of grinding away at something right now and you've been doing it for you know six months or a year like I think it's like probably not going to take off, you know, again, there's always like, there's obviously examples of like the inverse being true. But for me, anytime we've done something really special, it's been pretty apparent like early on. Uh, and it hasn't been this like, Oh, one year in the doldrums, just kind of like floating around in obscurity. And then we strike gold again. My story kind of looks like that, but it's actually like just a monster pivot. And then like immediate, pull by the market in this brand new thing. And so like, I'm always encouraging people, like if you've been kind of grinding away at this thing, I would probably really look to switch to something that's tangentially related. And again, it can be in the same company, but it's like a tangential product, tangential offer um, that kind of takes all the best things that you've been doing, all the insights that you've learned and like reapplies them in a new way. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting because you saw that insight and were able to pivot within the business. You didn't have to say, oh, I think AI writing is going to be the thing. And let's shut down proof and go do this. Like you were able to, uh, you, you basically were profitable and had the freedom to search, which is yep. also like a powerful thing because um, yep. it gives you some time. And okay, we're, we're going really deep on this. I also want to go back up. So Jasper is the ability to, you know, do everything from like write Facebook ads, blog posts, LinkedIn posts all these different things. And I, when I've used it, it's a very much, I think of it as like, hey, you're giving me templates to get the most out of the stuff that I'm writing. Is that the way you would think about it at its core? Yeah. I mean, there's probably like two phases. There's ideation, which is, hey, give me a bunch of blog post topics. Give me some new angles. You know, here's my product description. Give me like 10 benefits that, uh, you know, maybe a certain demographic might feel towards this product fair. And so it's kind of ideation. Give me like kind of break the writer's block. Then there's like the actual like execution of the content where it'll write, you know, full blog posts with you. It'll write full 
uh, LinkedIn posts. And kind of whatever it is you actually have to go and execute on, it'll it'll do that, you know, better and faster. Um, oftentimes it's the most writers, but it, but it's really there as a tool for marketers to use. It's not there, you know, we're a long way away. I mean, 20 plus years away from replacing marketers, but it's like, we're there to help assist and kind of give marketers superpowers. And do you have advice for folks about how to use a tool to make like truly great content? Yeah. I mean, I think knowing like being a good writer is definitely a, a huge advantage. And so for me, as somebody that like knows copy, like you kind of go from, from being a writer to an editor. And I think of it as like, you're now assembling great content. Um, and so it's not that you're kind of starting it from scratch, but you're, you're, you're taking a hook and you're saying, Oh, that's really catchy. And you're taking an opening paragraph and you're looking at five of them and you're saying, okay, this one's actually better. And I would rewrite this one sentence and do that. And so like, it really is kind of this dance where like, at the end of the day, like you still have to know your reader. You still have to know the objective. You still have to understand the channel that you're, that you're marketing on. Like all of those things will give you the knowledge and insight to, to really steer uh, the AI to help you. That would be the advice is like, still like learn your craft. Like don't get lazy there, but use the tools that you have um, in an iterative way to build great content that, that really like truly readers will love. Can you talk about what like your best understanding today of like the SEO implications of this, like of using AI generated content? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like Google is going to reward great content and you know, for a long time, there was this like FUD about, you know, Google hates AI content. And, you know, at, at the core of it, like what they hate is, is low quality content. And, yeah. you know, if users can't find what they're looking for, you know, then Google's in trouble and another search engine, you know, but it's like, if you can use AI to write great content, and in fact, let's say like the best article for a search term by far was an AI generated article. Like you think Google's not going to like show that, like it solves the customer problem. And so, you know, what, what we've always believed and Google has now confirmed, you know, by saying, Hey, we don't hate AI content. We just hate bad content is like use AI to write great content, solve the user's pain, solve the user problem. And we will, we will show your content. And I think too many people kind of just rely on the tool to crank out, you know, lots of low quality content. Um, and we build the tool away from that. We always try to encourage people away from that. But I think as long as it's good content, you'll be in great shape. Can you bring us through what the experience has been like for you running Jasper AI business, AI writing business, you know, you're using GPT, your GPT three, I think you said was like where it started and then chat GPT comes out and it, you know, it was like, is this a threat or is this like, does this help? Like, how do you think about a world where there's tons of things like there's chat GPT and there's Bing chat and Google has their thing. And like more of this is coming Tell us about what this has been like, like this evolution for you. Yeah, it's certainly been wild. I mean, we we definitely knew we were in this like free period where it was, again, we, we have some good competitors that were kind of doing apples to apples stuff. So it wasn't like we were just kind of the only people, you know, in the world building here. But we kind of like knew that, okay, someday this is going to end. We need to get as far ahead as we can. We need to build up a really strong team. Like we need to do all these things and take advantage of this moment. Um, so that we, that we do have a chance to build something great once, you know, kind of the, the competitors come. Um, and yeah, we're, we're definitely like in that zone now. I mean, when chat GPT launched, yeah, I didn't really know, is this kind of good? Is this bad? You know, we've seen it like 100 X, the top of funnel, like, like total addressable market. Like the awareness is like off the charts yeah. now. Inevitably yeah. people kind of go to chat GPT. They see it, they play around with it, they like it. But if you're like a business and you've got a marketing team, 
and you've got like work to do, you know, like <laughs> where do you do work with your team, you know, an AI, like it's probably yeah. not chat GPT again, it, it could be, but like, if you want like different, like user management and stuff like that, like people come to Jasper for that. Um, you know, but if you're just like a freelancer trying to like save money and, you know, you're not kind of, uh, you're kind of agnostic to the tool, you know, then like chat GPT, like is, you know, a, a free or super cheap version that like very well could meet your needs. And so I think for us, it's helped us focus. Um, we've been probably, we were probably a lot more general and like kind of who we were going after, you know, before. And now we're saying, Hey, we're like businesses with marketing teams that want to collaborate together and do great work. That's on brand and on tone of voice and knows about your company. Uh, and that's been, that's been really good for us, you know, and then obviously we have like the incumbents that are entering the space and it's, you know, you got whatever, every B2B SaaS tool, like we'll have this in there and it's like, well, well what, what do we do there? And for us, that's been a focus on having one unified tool that connects into all the other ones. And so you're not kind of using your Facebook ad business manager and writing copy in there and then logging out and going over into HubSpot. And it's a totally different, um, AI that is a little bit different style and tone for your voice and all of that. But like, how can we have one tool that connects into all of those seamlessly? Uh, we really think that's the best user experience. And so we're building for that. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been focusing. Uh, it is crazy. Uh, I'd say like December, we kind of had to like get everyone focused and just be like, all right, guys, like enough of the noise. <laughs> like we ultimately have to do our thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sorry, like, I'm, I mean, I'm laughing. Cause I'm just like, you're, you're really describing like, you're like a hundred X the top of our funnel. You know, you have this crazy growth story. I know it's out there. You hit like 70 million in revenue in two years. Like, Hey everybody, Hey, just start focusing. Like we're going to make yeah, this work. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I feel like <laughs> it was a, it was a wonderful kind of a two year honeymoon. Um, yeah. and now it's kind of back to, all right, time to really execute and like go, go, do what we do. And you bought some companies, right? And you're doing the extension thing. So like Jasper is everywhere. My understanding is that's the business product too, is like you have your brand kit in there, that tone of voice and that stuff happening in the background through this extension. Yep. Yeah. That was a team we acquired. They were in Australia building this really slick tool that was a Chrome extension that could, you know, write everywhere. And um, so we acquired them in October, I think. And, and yeah, that's been really great. That's awesome. Um, what do you think generative AI is going to do to video production? It's a good question. I've seen a lot of really cool stuff, even in the last like couple weeks around it. Um, I think it'll do the same thing as it's done for writing. Um, I think a lot of the menial tasks of video content creation will, will go away and you'll just say, ah, just, you know, color grade this to look like reservoir dogs and it'll just like do it. You know, yeah. like you're not going to be yeah. like messing around or like searching YouTube for like the yeah. tutorial on that. Like it'll just do it. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, I'll take out that lamp behind you. And yeah. then it'll just do it. And, you know, so I think like a lot of that stuff is going to go away. Like my hope is that that actually frees up uh, a ton of creativity. And like before only a very small, like right now a very small subset of people in the world can like create good videos, even though, yeah. you know, a lot of people have ideas around it, but you have to go learn how to use the tooling and get money and all that. Like, I think it'll be really cool in that you can have way more people create great video content. But I uh, I don't think we're far away from being able to just type out a couple sentences about what you want a video to do. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be pretty dang good. So I think it'll revolutionize it. Yeah, it seems like it's absolutely coming. And I think those examples are really good ones of like the distance between good to great. If it's like visual style, framing, 
um, even like idea generation, like it's going to impact all of these things. And I, I think a big question is like, you know, you said this before, like, does it take 20 years before it's like you could replace a marketer directly? And my question is like, I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, some of this stuff, this pace of change, it feels like it could be like six months, but also like it takes so long for people to change, right? Like the technology can be there, but it takes so long for us to change. I mean, that was like a big lesson for me in COVID. We had so much demand and all this stuff from all these businesses who had never once used video and yep. then they had to. And it was like, well, okay. They, I didn't know this many people weren't attempting it. Like I've been, I've been saying to myself, like, let's say tomorrow there was a, a flying car released and it was the exact same price and it looked the same and it was, you know, of like a model Y or something. How many people would actually buy it? Or would there be so much fear that like, yep. you know, it's like an interesting, like how long would it take before everyone's car is a flying car? Yep. I, I don't know, I, but it seems like it could take a long time. <laughs> yeah. And I think people adapt and evolve. I mean, think about what video creation like used to take. I mean, to make like a little 10 second video would take yeah. this whole team and physical, you know, all this stuff. And like now again, like one person can with their iPhone go make like a really incredible video using these tools. Now are like, are all those other people that used to do that, like on the streets, like holding cups, asking for change and all that. No, they just like learned new skills and like got better jobs and like all that stuff. So it's like, yes, if you insist on being like a, like if, if you're like dreaming life to be like a low quality, like copywriter, then like, yeah, like there's not going to be like a job for you anymore. But like, if you're, roles to be a great copywriter like great now you've got awesome tools to help you do that even faster and better and like you'll just need to evolve and so i think there'll be plenty of jobs and people will do even cooler stuff here you know as these tools get better and better yeah i think i just want to go one one layer deeper on that because this is a question i hear a lot and you're living you're living this day to day because all of your customers are using AI and like they're making huge amounts of content, right? Like with Jasper stuff that they couldn't have done before. They couldn't have done at the same speed or that might not have been as inventive or what have you. What do you think? Like for someone who's afraid today, they're afraid this is going to take my job. Like they're that junior copywriter. What, what should they do? I think they need to learn the tools. I mean, that's the easiest way. Like if you just learn the tools, then like you will, de facto always have, you know, a job and, and be using those there because forever, you know, these tools are going to be kind of run and operated by humans. And I think you just got to keep developing in your craft. So even like outside of like these tools, like, you know, let's say with, let's say with video creation, like I would perhaps spend less time learning color grading, you know, learning these like very like tactical things that like could kind of be and like learn storytelling, like learn about like, like, the human brain, like learn about like how to create creativity, like on a repeatable basis, like those things will be, you know, incredibly valuable, you know, for you to kind of piece together these things. But like, I don't know if again, color grading will be this like skill set, you know, in five years. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And it's like, what's the stuff that what's the stuff that isn't going away? Yep. And it's like, yep. well, we're we're still trying to engage with humans. If you can understand humans better. Yes. Like if you can tell better stories um, or you know what a great story looks like. Or I think another thing is like if there's tons more content than, and you said this earlier, like the best content is going to win in this world without a doubt, right? So like 
if the best content's going to win, like what makes the best content? I think it's like really creative things, different things that people haven't seen before, really surprising things. And like, that's like, that's putting together new and different ideas in ways they haven't been put together. And that's recognizing idea and being able to take a risk. And that's the thing that seems like pretty far away from AI knowing when those risks are good risks to take or not. But like, I think using a lot of AI tools to brainstorm and help us like have more divergent thinking so that a human being can pick through that, that through that and like end up with in a different place faster. That seems super valuable. Yeah. I do think like creativity will be rewarded with all of this. I think knowing your customer and your reader deeply will be rewarded. Um, and you will see kind of really, you'll see a lot more great content and it will have to be de facto like really great content to stand out, you know, as kind of the noise picks up and it's kind of just, you know, every Joe Schmo and every grandma could click a button and write a book, click a button and make a video. Like the bar will just raise and the spectrum will just raise for everyone. We're like, you'll still just have to write great content. Um, and, and hopefully it's just better than the great content of 20 years ago. Okay. Last question about Jasper. What's something that customers have been asking you for that is like maybe specific that you weren't expecting? Yeah. I mean, when we first released it again, it was this like Facebook ads or like website copy, like very like short form copy. And we had this one tool called the sentence expander and it took like a small sentence and made it into a big sentence. And one weekend, like a few weeks in, some guy comes back on like a Monday and he's just like, Hey, I wrote a book over the weekend using the sentence expander. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I wrote this like whole, like long book. Like it was like 50,000 words <laughs> using the sentence expander. He would kind of like type a quick thought, like a short little like snippet. And then it would like expand his, he's like copy paste it in like a word doc and all this stuff. And I was like, dude, that is insanity. That had to be miserable. And then like a week later, like somebody else did it. They're like, oh, this works great for that. I was like, what in the heck? This does not work great for that. But like, they just like loved it and were hacking the product to do that. And it was kind of like a pretty quick transition from that into us releasing like a full document editor where that could like write like long form content and books and blog posts and all that stuff there. And so uh, I think, yeah, we've seen a lot of people just kind of like pushing the bounds on, on things, using things in unintended ways. You know, that's like a clear example um, that I think watching for those things has been very informative for us. And so what we started to do is release templates that oftentimes were like kind of random. It'd be like a real estate listing generator. And, you know, we just kind of wanted to like, see like, are there a lot of realtors here? Like, is this a big thing? Is this not a big thing? And it's like, it's easy when you can kind of like package them up like that. You can start to like, just watch usage patterns uh, and see kind of where the market is going. Um, But yeah, that'd be one example where they're writing books with a, a thing that makes small sentences, bigger sentences. That's great. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people connect with you to learn more? Uh, probably Twitter or LinkedIn. I, uh, I don't put out as many fat tweets as I would like, but you know, you need the I, like, sentence I, like expander. There. I know I need the sentence expander. Yeah. You'd think as like, you know, Mr. AI content guy, I would just have an unlimited, you know, stream of tweets, but I still like to have, have, uh, my own thoughts that I share there. <laughs> That's nice. What a wholesome ending. Um, Thank you, Dave. I hope to see you soon. And congrats on success. I'm excited to to see where you guys go next. All right. Thanks, man. We'll see you. You know what's funny about Dave is uh, he 
he's so calm, cool, and collected. And I, you know, <laughs> I like started laughing a couple of times as we were finishing recording with him because he's just like so nonchalant about these things. It's like we're a little unfocused. Like let's let's just focus up. I'm like, my God, man. Like I love this. Like I love that you're going so much. And like I could just imagine him saying, and everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, we are. Like let's get ship shape here. Yeah, he doesn't tell it like somebody who's like living the fairy tale. You know, like he's just like, this is my life. I'm gonna. Yes. And when you zoom out, it's like Jasper is like a rocket ship and like he's on it. And that's crazy. Yeah, it's like a guy on a rocket ship who is like, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. I think you and I both had a similar reaction when Dave was talking about proof and basically said, like, if that company had been doing better, then Jasper wouldn't have existed. That's kind of crazy to, like, wrap your head around. Yeah. When he said that, I got chills because I think it's so it's crazy sometimes how close we can be to success and not know it. Yeah. And like, he's totally right. Like there's a lot of people who get going on something and then they get stuck and they get stuck because their business actually gets too far along and they'd be better off with it failing or obviously it getting much farther. And it's like in this in-between zone. And it seems like what happened there is so interesting, which is like, they got big enough that they knew how to do many of these other things. Like he says, it wasn't even, you know, we're still in the marketing space. You know, it was a byproduct of a course, right. That he was running. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable because you have to be open and willing to see those things. And you also have to admit that the thing you're on isn't working, which is That's one hard. of the... Both of those things are really hard to do. They're both incredibly hard to do. And it's one of the... Har- I think admitting the thing you're doing isn't working is one of the hardest things for an entrepreneur to do because it's what if it's just not there yet? You know, What if it's not good enough? What if we just need to miss this thing? Or what if it's just that not enough people know about it? Like... Yeah. It's and there's vi- and- the like the like, oh, we have to start everything again. Like it's it's like the fear that like the thing that you've been working on could finally like come to fruition, but it's also like the dread that like you're back to the drawing board. Yeah. Um I think to the drawing board point, like the fact that the folks who were taking the course had such a palpable reaction to like the AI demo, like that's powerful. So I don't know for what it's for. Like, I don't that that moment stuck with me that like this product fit was like obvious. You know, what's interesting is it also it reminded me of our conversation with April because mm-hmm. um, positioning. Yeah, thinking about positioning, where she was talking about like emotion in the decision doesn't work like in B two B in the same way. And so when people are truly excited or they're animated and they're motivated, it's because they think it's going to really impact their day to day. And I, we all talk about that in B2B, but his example is so specific. We can all understand it very easily because it's like, well, if I need to write all the copy for the social posts for this episode, I know I have to write that. If I can do something that makes it faster and it's actually good, that's an incredible thing. It's easy to understand. It's delightful. It's just It's just time back. And so it's very interesting because it's like this emotional piece of this is still there. It's just there in a different place. Yeah. I think I, you know, I I said this, I can't remember if I said this after we recorded with Ben Tossel, who who is a guest we had on, uh, who's an AI, you know, enthusiast. 
every time we have an AI guest on here, I like come away. I'm like, yes, this makes so much sense. Yeah. But then I also am I I like have more of the the fear factor. So maybe I just need to get into Jasper, play around a bit, see what creativity can be unlocked. Because like when you guys talk about it, I'm like, that's great. That sounds great. Yeah. But I'm the voice of the pessimists or the, I don't know what you call us. Technical laggards. Wow. That's rude. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> it's funny. You know, this whole thing of like, there's the early adopter, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggard. And, and if you were to like graph it, the percentage of the audience that's in each camp, it's like pretty small in early adopter. And it's pretty large and early majority and late majority and pretty small and laggard, right? But the idea of the technical adoption curve is that everyone, every product goes through it through its life cycle, but the users are in different places, right? When they come in, I am obviously the early adopter as it comes to tech things. Obviously. But there's other things in my life that I'm a laggard on or I'm like late majority. Mm. And I would say for you, it seems like you're probably not early adopter for tech, but early adopter for other things. Definitely for other things. Brooklyn bagel wine. shops, wine, uh, Australian wine, uh, <laughs> Australian Vermentino. I am an early adopter. That's, on a, that. that's what I'm saying. And, yeah. but like, so it's okay, but you might get, if the faster you get to the, if you go change your position on the curve in this one, it might yeah. be helpful. That's all I'm saying. All right. I like it. Cool. Well, we've done it. We've done another episode. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, if you would like to connect with Sylvia or I, we are both on Twitter. Sylvia is Gimme the Loot. On Twitter, I am C Savage. Spending a lot of time on LinkedIn these days, though. A lot of LinkedIn posts coming. So check us out on LinkedIn. Um, if you have feedback for the show, you can all, always email us at ttlpod at wissat.com. You can see all the full episodes on wissat.com, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talking to Loud. And that is it. Have a great day and see you soon. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.